And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Morning, church. Yes, it's good to be here, isn't it? Awesome, awesome. Hey, um, I I don't want to dwell on this, but uh, just knowing and appreciating uh, the prayers um, that have um, been sent my way, the the letters, the cards, the notes, the encouragement uh, during this season, I just want to say thank you so much for being a loving church. Uh, You guys so kind and caring through this season. Uh, some of you sitting there going, what is he talking about? Uh, I was involved in an accident about four weeks ago now and um, just seeing God's grace move. Um, the family involved is doing great and we're probably gonna be friends for life and uh, it's just cool to see how God's moved. Um, but I'm processing a lot still and we're um, just thankful for the team here that's taken so much um, so that we could have the space and the time to to just work it, work it out and let God do his thing. So we're just thankful. So thank you again. Uh, but I want to dive in because this message here has ministered to me. And I think it's uh, a word for us to look at and glean from. So you guys have your Bibles with you and you turn with me in Matthew chapter 11. Somebody get excited. We've got our Bibles open. Praise God. Yes. You haven't done that in a few weeks. Come on. Somebody get loud. Yes. Come on. We love getting into God's word. And we know and we pray, as you guys are turning there, we pray and thank you, God, that um, this word will never return void. God, as we read it this morning, we're expectant uh, that this word, your word, uh, as we look at it, is going to do its job. It's going to cut deep. It's going to cut to um, all those things, Lord God, or, or even today, one thing, Lord God, that you want to remove from our lives, our hearts, our um, uh, our psyche, Lord God, whatever your word uh, is designed to do in us this morning, we just say yes. Would you come and have your way in this time that we, we set aside for you, God? Uh, and, and we want you to move us to change. We don't want to be the same, Lord God. We want to become, uh, as you said, we're predestined to become more like you, Jesus, to be in your image. So we want that. We ask for it, that your word would uh, have have and do its job in our lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. So we're, I wanna jump to the end of this and just see this amazing invitation that comes, a sweet, beautiful invitation from Jesus to all followers, but really those that heard the exchange that we're leaning in in this moment in chapter 11, Jesus makes an invitation and he says some things that are really powerful that we've heard many times and I wanna make sure we catch it and get it because it's, uh, this, is, this is world changing. Verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus here exposing his heart to us and showing us his nature uh, and this beautiful invitation to come to him. 
I don't know how many times I have gone to this verse over the years, but I can honestly say I've never spent more time reflecting on this in this season in my life, not just because I wanted to uh, preach this week, but because uh, God is just ministering to me through this and these words have life. I'm convinced that this moment where Jesus exposes his heart and declares why anyone should come to him, which is told through these words, this is the why, because he is gentle and humble of heart. Now, if you've been through an uh, experience where you've been raw or just feeling like your everything is exposed, and, and if you've been through like something rough where you get to this point where if somebody gives or tells you like, hey, do this better or do this better, or they, they bring a corrective word instead of an encouraging word. You're like, if I hear one more thing, I'm just gonna crumble. Like, I cannot hear anything else. Like, you, you become in those moments where you're raw, you're beat up, you're in a really hard place, and I mean really hard place, dark place maybe in life. You begin to maybe think of, why God this, or are you really there? In those moments in life, you tend to guard yourself and maybe lean into certain conversations with certain people and maybe not others. And Jesus does this for us. He tells us why we should go to him. And this should, this should comfort all of us and also remind us of what people go to when they're in a hard place. This is where we, we go instinctively. I don't think we need to be told. We go where there's gentleness and humility. You think about it, like where do you want to spend time when you're in that raw and real place in your life? You want to go where there's gentleness, right? You're not going to lean in when you're in those moments of that coach, you know, that's like, come on, get, it, get, get real, you know, get stuck in, do better. That's not what you probably need in those moments, right? You probably need someone to say, hey, come here, let's sit down, tell me what's going on. And I just confess today, like, I, I miss that up. Like, I miss the boat on that. At times, like, I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking of where we should be and what we should be doing. And so at times, like, I don't see the gentleness in my own heart and life. I miss the boat on that many times. So I need to work on that. I see Christ in this. I need to work on that in my life. But the most important thing in this message is not the correction from my heart. In this is that I get to see who Jesus is. And that the invitation from Jesus is this beautiful invitation to come to the place that will ultimately change my life. A space where the Creator says, come because I am gentle. And get this, Creator God, humble. What? That's beautiful, that's, that's crazy. But he makes this invitation. Why does he do this at the end of chapter 11? Well, the chapter 11, I think this invitation is described best by its context. Why did Jesus close with this and this moment of teaching or whatever you want to call it? That's because there was something going on and stirring in this group and he was making a point. So let's go back, Matthew chapter 11, verse one. After Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Verse two, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? 
Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John, this same John, uh, arrested back in chapter three, is likely alone and listening to what is going on out in the world and he gets a word about Jesus. He gets this context given to him by those that come to the prison and tell him what Jesus is up to. And we get this interaction because of what John hears. And what John hears is that he's eating with sinners, right? Tax collectors. He chose a bunch of misfits to be his inner circle. He has been walking through the regions that have very little value politically. Jesus continues to put himself around the lowest of people and having little to no influence on the Roman influencers in the region. And there is no uprising to encourage John that Jesus is going to fulfill the prophecies that come from Elijah and and Isaiah. He's sitting there going, what is going on? If you've been imprisoned for the things that John was imprisoned for, you're likely scratching your head going, what is going on here? I'm over here in prison for this, you know, overthrowing the government thing that we're going to do, the thing that was prophesied about. Come on, Jesus. You hear it? Hear the tone? All of these prophecies that John knew very well would have have been surrounded with these words of God's judgment and alignment with the new kingdom. A new kingdom is gonna be established by this one, the Christ, the Messiah. That's what Jesus was called there by John's disciples. And so there was a, a hidden message, if you would, or a message within the message that likely sounded like this. Hey, Jesus, remember, you're supposed to be the Christ. Where is the division from this world that you're supposed to bring? The Messiah was supposed to separate Israel and and raise it up as they understood it. A kingdom would be established that would have no end, described by Isaiah. There should be no doubt in our minds as we read this, that John is the doubter, maybe not Thomas, right? How'd you like to have that name? (laughs) Doubting Thomas. But John's really the one that started doubting. It's the same guy, and it's kind of shocking, the same guy that was there when Jesus came into the water and was confirmed by his heavenly father, as we talked about weeks ago, He was confirmed by his father by speaking from heaven and the spirit was poured out like a dove. John was right there in the water ready to baptize and did baptize Jesus and was saying, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. How can I baptize you? This same John is now sending this message. The same John who leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus came close. This is hard. Doubts. John was desperate. 
And we've all had these moments of doubts, or maybe you're here today and you carry with you maybe some doubts that have lingered for a very long time. Alistair McGrath, a theologian that wrote a lot about these interactions with Jesus, said that doubts are a natural part of our faith journey. Paraphrased here, he and other theologians conclude also that unbelief, which is different than doubts, unbelief is deciding to live a life as if God does not exist, arriving with certainty that there's no creator. That's unbelief. There's no belief. However, doubt, on the other hand, arises in the context of faith. So we often think about doubts being, maybe I don't have faith. You with me? Like you've had that thought, like, why do I have doubts? Why shouldn't I be like strong in my faith? The scripture said it shouldn't be more sure. But I wanna encourage you with this, that even these theologians and many leaders, right, are gonna have doubts because it's part of the faith journey. Trying as we will to work out our faith, there'll be this process of trying to come to a destination of knowing how God wants to interact with us, who he is, what he's about, what he thinks about certain things. As we journey through that, faith will have trials, situations that come up. And Paul says this, that he works out his salvation with fear and trembling. And I, I wanna read that because here Paul is describing this salvation, you know, what God has done for us, us being rescued, this salvation that we should be working it out. There's part of uh, this process we're in sanctification and Paul himself is in prison, just like John, but he arrives at a different, uh, a different place than John does in this moment. Philippians 2.12 records, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, that's what's happening, in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He's causing us in this process of doubt as we look to him for more. We lean into the word and we're in this process and he's forming us into his image. That's his purpose, didn't he say that? that? That I predestined you to become like me in my image. That's his will, that's his purpose. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. You could add there, unlike John, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a, in a, warped, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He's talking about his work in them. Paul was talking to believers about the struggle that we exist in as we remain here in the world to go through various struggles. Paul highlights a process that he finds himself in where his understanding and you could say his faith and his salvation in Christ is a regular process that is ongoing. That does not mean that he is saved and then not saved and then saved, not saved. It's not that at all. He's just working his understanding of what salvation truly means over and over as he becomes more like Christ. He's really picturing what Christ has done and what God is doing. Even though he's saying in the midst of circumstance, God, where are you? What are you doing? Because he doesn't understand. And I, if I'm 
If I'm talking to people like myself today, you've been there. If you can think of a circumstance or some situation that's come up in your life that's produced those thoughts, then we're on the same page here. The encouragement here is to continue to work it out. The trap is this, that we want so badly for this not to be a process. We want, we want it to be, right? We come into the knowledge of who God is and that Christ saved us, right? And the process ends, I am there, right? Arrival. We're in a process, it's called transformation. Guess what? You ain't perfect, right? You try really hard, I try really hard, probably way too much, but you ain't perfect and we're in a process. And part of like growing in Christ is giving ourselves grace, ourselves grace, even though God gives us grace. We picture ourselves, we look in the mirror and go, oh, I can't believe it, you're not there yet. Relax. Not that sin is good, but you need to relax because you need to recognize we need to understand we're in a process. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. Amen? And this is the beautiful thing that Jesus does. Knowing that we will be there, this is his invitation. I am gentle, humble, and hard, and you will find rest for your souls. So in the midst of our doubts, Jesus knowing that's where we're gonna be, that's likely where we might get stuck, that's likely where the church will arrive at some point because the world will continue to be corrupt and they will wanna stand for me and in the midst of standing for me, they're gonna have doubts like John. Jesus stops, I'm so glad he does this and he ministers to us in foresight right, foreknowledge, understanding what's gonna happen, down the line he stops and he ministers to all of us for all generations and says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Meaning, this is where you need to go, to him. And you will find rest. So I wanna look at this scripture real quick and I wanna unpack the four things that bring these things out. These, these places that bring up our doubts and just visit those things that brought out John's doubts. And I think we'll relate with those things. And I think there are moments for us to go, hey, how am I doing? What am I doing with these doubts? Uh, first is this, the circumstance. John's circumstance. How do we know his circumstance? Well, right there it's recorded. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that's the circumstance. We have all had circumstances that have shifted our perspective or you could say limited our perspective or expanded our perspective. We see things different because of the circumstance, right? And when things are going well, we don't doubt. But when circumstances come into life, they upset the apple cart. I think you say cart. I say cart. You say cart. Sorry, I have to, I get emails. So I'm just like helping myself out here. What did you say then? Okay, we good? When stuff upsets the apple cart, right, of life, and, and we go, God, why? What is going on? We're doubting. John had some pretty hard circumstances to face. 
This prison circumstances, we, we know now because of history that the place that he was sitting, he was likely being tortured in that prison. Mentally, emotionally tortured. Dank, dark places where you were forced to be alone. Small holes to which you could communicate with the outside world just so you knew what you were missing out on. This is where he resided. And so I think it's important for us before we move in and and look at this to ask ourselves like, what are the circumstances as we think back about our life? You've probably already gone there, but I wanna make sure we go there. Ask yourself, what circumstances have, have come up in my life where I begin to go down that road of doubting God? Where are you in this? God, I thought you said, are you really there, God? If you're there, surely you could not allow this, God. God, I thought you changed me, but I keep coming back to this sin, God. What are we doing? We're hanging it all on him, right? And and so therefore doubting God. It's tough to admit, but we all have our moments. And I know that many of you had had a moment when the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, so we'll just get that over with. I don't want us to dwell on that one. There's gotta be more. Right, so just move on. Something better than that. Something bigger. Okay, if that's where you were, let's just move on. It's it's done. Okay, there's a new season coming. But circumstances, circumstances bring up our doubts. The second thing is this, and this was so true for John. The biblical understanding, our limited biblical understanding will often provide many doubts. Look at Jesus' response here. This is Jesus' response to the question that is raised. Aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? Right, here's his answer. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are clean, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus quotes Isaiah 35. Back to somebody who likely had memorized Isaiah 35, knew it by heart, and would have used it for his sermons. This this is like tongue in cheek with Jesus and John. There's a message here. He shares a very important message, and I think we get hung up here. We sang this a few moments ago, but Jesus is touching on the very heart of the matter of the question that is raising the doubts inside of John, the same stuff that's inside of us today. Even though we can sing, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you. Uh, Everything is yours, God. I trust you, God. I I, want to hang everything on you, God. I, I love you. I trust you. Oh, we sing all that. But when it comes to like reality, what we're saying sometimes when we're worshiping is we're saying, I love you for what you can do for me, Jesus. I love that you rescued me, Jesus. I trust you because you saved me, Jesus. But worship isn't saying thank you. That's not the full description of worship. Worship is this that Paul says, this is how I describe worship. That you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to me, right? This is a complete abandonment to Jesus or the God of the, the creator of the universe. It's abandonment to say, I trust you, I am yours. That's worship. A stepping stone, or you could say, a part of worship is saying and recognizing, Jesus, I thank you, you're my savior. You've done that for me. 
That's like opening and creaking the door open to worship. But true worship is, I stepped past that and said, thank you, God, I'm saved. I'm with you now. Because the whole point is that I'm in the face of the Creator saying, I love you. That's worship. Lord, I need you. And meaning, I don't need anything else. But John, John, here's John's worship. I thought you were supposed to be doing that. That thing that Isaiah said. Here's, let's read the verse that Jesus didn't quote. This is what he should have said and what all of us would wanna hear if we're in prison and we get a word from Jesus. Here's the word we all wanna hear in our circumstance. Say to those who have an anxious heart or heart, be strong, fear not. Don't you wanna hear that? Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you, right? If you're John and you've got nothing, you have no way forward, you've given your all, and because you gave your all, you're arrested and put in prison, now it's all up to Jesus, you're gonna sit back and go, okay, Jesus, do your thing, right? And when Jesus doesn't do what you thought he would do, now you go, oh, now what do I do? I question Jesus. I question God, because it doesn't come out how I want it. Jesus doesn't quote verse four. He skips it. He says, yeah, I'm coming to save. But John, what you need to hear right now, here's his gentleness, here's his love, here's his humility. Here's what you need. Here's a correction. You need to know I am doing everything that I said I would do. The deaf hear, the blind see the lame walk. Come on, church. Aren't we glad Jesus was on mission? We just heard it. He's got his eyes set towards what? The cross and saving all humanity. John didn't get it. He had limited biblical understanding. Why is John stuck? Because his expectations were not actually fully aware. He did not have the Holy Spirit yet. He didn't understand the Scriptures fully. He didn't have what Jesus had, which is the foresight to know that the cross is coming. And that is more important than getting John out of prison, getting him out. What is most important is that Jesus keeps doing the mission that He was called to do by the Father and walk in obedience, amen? Because there's a kingdom coming that will never end and the kingdom you want to establish, John, doesn't matter. See, some of us are so hooked up on what we think Jesus should be doing in our midst, we start worshiping what we think Jesus should do instead of worshiping Jesus. Somebody online just said hallelujah, so I'm gonna give it for the room. Hey, some of us get so caught up on worshiping Jesus for what He should be doing because we've decided Scripture says this and so we're hanging it all on that and when He doesn't show up, what are you gonna do? You're gonna doubt because you weren't worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping what He would do for you. Yeah, amen, three people get it. No, I know, I know we're there, I know we're there because God's working in our hearts and he's working through the circumstance. He's working in your doubts. He's working in our doubts. I'm with, all of us are in this place. 
I love Jesus' response here. In our limited understanding, when we go to him with our doubts, he finishes with the invitation, come to me. He doesn't leave us in our doubts. He didn't leave John in his doubts. He sent a rescue plan for John. He just didn't come the way he wanted it. See what John got in the cell. I'll get to that. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, all right, number three. Number three, here we go. Unmet expectations. You might say, well, that's really the circumstance, Bryce, but it wasn't. His circumstance was living in a cell and watching all the action happen. Some of us, you're right, we're, we're, we're like, we wanna be in the action, right? Where the action is, circumstance for John was being out of action, out of commission. What do you mean I have to sit on the sidelines? Wait, John, that's not fun. Amen, some guys in the house, you with me? Right? There's a season of waiting John had to do. We're gonna see it, we're gonna read his story later on. Man, I wish I had more time. Praise God. But the unmet expectations are so powerful because we put hope in stuff and we put hope in God that he'll do certain things. But here, John did not understand the kingdom was being established in a different way than he had hoped. And so the unmet expectation corrupt his thinking. The unmet expectation creates cynicism. The unmet expectation creates deferred hope. The unmet expectation creates bitterness in his heart and he sits in it and he stews on it, right? And he's just going, why, why? Why, why? You anybody ever been there? I was going over this in my mind and through these last couple of weeks and just, I, I've been raw, I've been processing a lot of raw emotion and God working on my heart and some pride and some different things. And, and, and when I thought and looked at this and John meeting his, un, like looking at the unmet expectation and the response from Jesus, I'm going, oh, that's tough. And yet it ministered to me because for Christina and I, this has been a hard thing. The hardest place I can think of was, and I, and I hate bringing this up in the service, I, I don't often talk about this, but for me, this is, this is just real. Like when, when we, we went through multiple miscarriages and in that time, in those processing through moments of that emotion, man, I wanna get bitter. Man, I want to just have it out with God. I just want what I want, and I want it now. And when I don't get it, man, my faith goes places I don't like. My doubts come from places, and I'm just going, where's that coming from? I, God, I love you, but I'm having these thoughts and emotions. Help me, Jesus, right? Anybody? These are hard things. These unmet expectations are gonna rise and I know they're coming. Sometimes I'm, just, I'm not prepared for them. John, this is huge for John. He placed a lot of hope in Jesus. And then the fourth thing is this that's gonna bring up our doubts. And that is isolation. 
When we isolate ourselves and we're living on an island through any season, it can be a sweet season. You're doing life alone and maybe you're plowing through a lot of stuff and you're doing good things. But when you live alone, as John did, I won't say you begin to hear voices, but we begin to reprioritize the voices in our lives. In, in isolation, we start listening and I, I heard this and I thought of Job. Listen to, to the response from John. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? This is John who listened to the voice from heaven and watched the spirit come down like a dove. This is not John's words. This is the words of isolation and unmet expectation and circumstances that he couldn't control. And this is just welling up inside of him. And I can't help but think that Job-like situation happening where his, his group, his posse, are going out and coming back and giving a, a bad report, right? They're coming back and being like, hey, just so you know, you're that Jesus we're supposed to be watching and, and waiting for him to like overthrow the government. Yeah, he's sitting with tax collectors right now. Right? That Jesus who's supposed to be doing like, you know, political stuff and getting everybody by him. Yeah, everybody hates him. Right? All the leaders hate him. They actually want to kill him. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Can you imagine that isolation? They go home to bed and they see the healings and they see the good stuff. And where's John sitting in his cell alone, stewing? What is God doing? See what isolation does to us? It narrows our focus for us to see usually and dwell on the worst of things. That's why wise counsel is so important. That's why community as believers is so important. If you're not in a small group, this is not a plug. I'm just telling you straight up as a believer and not as your pastor, you don't have a small group you're connecting with like weekly, you are missing out on that perspective of other believers walking through hard, walking through stuff, you being able to pray for them, them being able to support you and tell you when you're stupid, Right? Like, my first week, I'll call it ground zero, when I just came out of a hot thing, getting, going through an accident like that, I needed to be told by my best friends, Bryce, that's stinking thinking, that's stupid. When I took all the weight on my shoulders and I walked with guilt and shame, they said, Bryce, that's stupid. Now, because I told my kids I'm not allowed to use that word, I'm gonna stop there. That was just for the sermon. Levi, that's not permission, all right? We are stupid in isolation. We need community. We need community of believers. We need them to have sound judgment. We need them to see into the situation. We need to be transparent. Isolation is not the answer. Ecclesiastes 4.9, I'm gonna let you guys go there, read that. Like, it spells it out really clear. You've heard it all before. And we know this though. Now we're looking at John's situation. Circumstances are gonna bring uh, doubt, right? Certain, cer- certain situations are gonna bring it out of us. There's gonna be stuff. There's gonna be uh, unmet expectations that are gonna come. We know that our understanding of the word and of God is limited. We know that we're gonna have seasons where we wanna draw back away and live in isolation because it's easier. And so we're gonna do these things that set us up for doubt. And I just wanna make sure we look at the situation and don't move on through scripture and see, don't see what Jesus is trying to call out. He's saying, don't be stupid, right? Look at this, come to me. All of that, 
that invitation in itself, that come to me is all four of those situations put on the shelf. Because in the situation, circumstance, whatever it is, you come to me, what happens? Your burden is light. That's the circumstance. Come on. As you go through the unmet expectations, guess what? My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. I love this, that the invitation meets everything that would bring up our doubt. Jesus is closing chapter 11 with an invitation to say, hey, yeah, you're gonna go through this, but where's the best place to go through it? With me. He doesn't say, hey, you have doubts, you're on your own, you're going the wrong way. He says, you're gonna have doubts, bring them. Bring it on, let's go. Come on, that's your Jesus, isn't that awesome? No, okay, cool, praise God. I love it, I love that my Jesus is making an invitation for me to go through stuff and be in a process. Every day, you might have two, three things that happen, and the easiest thing is for us to just go back and give up and give in to doubt, be cynical and be bitter. I love this is where Jesus goes right after this encounter, sending him, them away with that correctional scripture, right? The, here's some hope, just remember, I am the Messiah. They go away. What's the next thing Jesus does? He spends, what, eight, nine, 10 verses talking about John, who, the awesomeness of John the Baptist. Go read it for yourself, how he just goes like full on. You don't hear him to do this about anybody else. He says, this is the greatest dude. The dude that's doubting, the greatest dude. Let me tell you, if you're doubting and you're going through it and that circumstance and you're coming to Jesus and you have biblical community around you and you're sitting in the word looking for him to teach you, you're the greatest. You're awesome. Praise God for you. Jesus knew John would do that. He knew when he sent that scripture back, this is what John's gonna do with that. When I send that scripture back, that teacher of the word, that rabbi, John, who's memorized all the scripture is gonna go back and he's gonna relook at and look at it from a different angle. Who is the Messiah? What is Jesus doing? I'm doing the same thing I hope for you today is that I want you to go back and say, who is this Jesus? And what is my response to him in circumstance where I have doubts? 2 Corinthians 3.16, this is the instruction we get from Paul. Again, I love this because he's the guy also in prison. Here's his instruction. He says, but it whenever, say whenever, whenever. I love that you're quiet today because I'm just gonna get louder. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Say away. Was it just a little bit? No, is it away? Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom, come on. And we all, say all, all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, there it is, into His image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You and I are not gonna get a, hey, you're done, good, just you know, live sweet life. No, you and I are in a process of transformation. And when we turn to the Lord, whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light, who is gentle and humble and loving and kind and made the invitation, when you do that, what happens? Your veil is lifted and you have freedom. This is what John got. He asked for 
the cage to be open, for the doors of the cell to swing open and for Jesus to go and throw the, the kingdom over and say, hey, hey, there's a new king here. That's what, that's what John wanted. But what John got was better than those cages being open, than the cell being open. And I'm telling you today, you and I have something better than the freedom that the world can give. We have something better than the cage being open, what Jesus gifted him. When he opened those those little blinds, whatever he had, and he listened to the word of the Lord was unveiled face. He got the freedom that we all are asking for when he got the word of God. When Jesus sent that word, and often we need to do this ourselves, we avoid going to his word, or we avoid going to community, or we avoid like actually facing these hard things. When we lean in to him, he says, this is what I have for you. I have freedom. Amen. I have it. Amen. Praise God. So come to me, all who are weary. That's all of us, right? We keep coming with ways to be better without Jesus. And he says, stop. Just come to me. The one thing that we lost when sin came into the world was the closeness with God that he wanted with us in the first place. What God, what did God share with Adam and Eve? Unadulterated, exposure to himself, his tenderness and walking and talking. This is what God has on offer for us. What Adam and Eve experienced in walking through the garden, that closeness, that nearness to the Lord is on offer for us all but we often miss it. The invitation's real. The invitation's there. It's just not the answer we want. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This message has one point. Come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Not come to Jesus and he will rescue you. Not come to Jesus and he will save you. Not come to Jesus and he will heal you. First, just come to Jesus. And here's what he says, you will find rest. That's a promise. Come to Jesus. When he said the words, and learn from me, as we get into worship and we lean into this moment, here's that action that we get. This is why it's restful, because he gives you a new cadence for life. He gives you a new peace for life. He gives you a new speed, a new pace, you could say a new way, which is his. So as we lean in and, and, and we come to him today, I want us to come expectant for him to say like, hey, here's my peace. Here's my cadence for life. Here's my way. John ultimately had to surrender his stuff and then receive God's. 
And so as we sing, we worship, I, w- I would invite you to stand. I, I wanna just pray us into this moment because it'd be easy for us again, just to move on with Sunday and just keep going. But there's something here for us all. And so God, I just pray right now for a, your spirit to move. And as we turn, we're gonna lean in and expect what your word says will happen. As we come to you, we're expectant for the veil to lift, that your spirit will move and there will be rest. Would you move in this space, in this time right now, as we pause and we worship you? God, we give you uh, everything. We give you this moment. We give you the weight of it all right now all the stuff that we've been wearing and taking on our shoulders, we give it to you. All these doubts that we've had, we give them to you. The hurts, we give them to you. And we come. Thank you, Jesus.